So welcome to episode 14 and today's show I have Ashley Thomas who is a familiar face to probably many of you. She is one of the leading spokespeople um, from Disordered Eating. She has her own experience in this area and um, has been on a few of the morning shows here in Australia as well as the founder of the secret burden and the sunday sessions so as in many of these episodes this one is a trigger warning for you guys um we do talk quite a lot of detail around disordered eating patterns behaviors and who she is today so i hope you enjoy this episode as always ashley is an absolute pleasure to have on the show and this is really for the people that are intrigued of what goes on in someone's mind that has this kind of condition, equally people that live with someone or know someone that has gone through this form of disorder or themselves feel that they are suffering too. So please sit back, relax and enjoy this episode and I look forward to having you part of today's show. so much for joining me today um I am so excited to have you today because as much as a dear friend you are to me you've been such an inspiration um so what I would love to start off with today is to really understand your journey um how you got that kind of clarity and then obviously where the secret burden came from so um yeah over to you darling (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh where to start I feel like with questions you're always like ah where do I start like from the beginning um obviously that's where I'll start um so when I was 14 years old I was diagnosed with anorexia nervosa and prior to that I would say was where my journey really began where I was restricting my eating and I hated myself I couldn't look at myself in the mirror I felt like I had no friends and I felt like I was not seen in my family environment so for me I was just lost um, in this world not knowing where I wanted to go not knowing who I was and thinking that no one really loved me. So I turned to restrictive eating because I felt like I needed something in my life to be able to control um, because everything felt out of control. And, you know, it started off, I think all of our journeys going through an eating disorder, it starts off with, I just want to be healthy and I just want to really look after myself. And for some of us, that turns to an extreme. And in my case, it definitely did. Um, And once yeah, I started restricting. It was a very uh, a downhill uh, downhill journey very quickly, which was scary. Um, but and for me, I had no idea. I think I was oblivious to to it all because at the end of the day, I just still was convincing myself that I wanted to be healthy. But um, I think one of the big things that led me to my diagnosis was that feeling of feeling alone and feeling lost, which a lot of people are feeling in this day and age. Um, when I was diagnosed, I got down my, the hardest part, I think for me, was I got down to a weight of 39 kilograms, which was a weight where you could barely see me. I was as thin as a pole. And I think what people don't understand with eating disorders is it wasn't just the physical. I 
was traumatizing my family with the voices in my head that I got um, and the tantrums and the anxiety attacks that I would get every single meal time, which was for, for treatment, it was eight times a day. And me treatment um, is still ongoing today. Um, my family and I went through something pretty traumatic that went on for, yeah, as I said, still now, so seven years on. Um, and it's one of those things where I think you learn to just know who you are and you learn how to deal with your eating disorder on your own because for so long you're dependent on your family if you're um, under 18. And for me, I was dependent on my family for so long and um, it definitely broke us apart. Um, but I can honestly say that I've come out a much stronger, a much braver, a much more courageous woman that knows what she wants, knows who she is and where she wants to go. And as much as the experience was awful, um, I don't regret a thing because it's made me who I am today. And, and now I feel like I am flourishing. So I feel like that's a really big sum up, but um, I don't oh. know. All the details. <laughs> that's such a beautiful way of kind of sharing it and in a really honest approach so thank you so much there's so many pieces there that I don't know about which is why I love having wonderful people like you about that I feel I know but I don't know (laughs) um so I mean firstly thank you so much for sharing so many intimate um parts of that um what so you mentioned you developed this kind of disorder at 18 like what was there a trigger point for you where you started going down this route yeah So it was, for me, it was really early on. So I would say, um, because being 20 now, it's a very different environment when it's it's all on you. Um, But yeah, I got diagnosed around sort of 13, 14. I remember turning around that age. And um, for me, there was a lot of of triggers um, and it sort of all builds up to create this perfect environment for an eating disorder. So I remember one being social media was being introduced, um, Instagram um, for sure, um, where you started comparing yourself to every friend that would post photos to all of a sudden you had access to all these women with different bodies 24 seven. Um, you know, you used to open up the girlfriend with Jolly magazine and just see these beautiful models or watch um, Australia's Next Top Model. And, you know, that would be our sessions once a week where now this was 24 seven and you didn't realize that you were actually subconsciously addicted to it. Cause I would, I remember always going back to it because it was that, that need of just feeling like you were a part of something, but subconsciously it destroying you. Um, Social media was a big thing for me. And then as well, when I was younger, I was going through um, some bullying that I never really dealt with um, until it started to come out going through my eating disorder recovery. And that's when I think I was coping from that for a very long time. And that's when my anxiety came out, which added to my diagnosis. And then I would say as well, I was a perfectionist. I wanted everything to be perfect. I was a high-performing athlete um, playing netball at the time and doing it seven days a week and always sort of just being pushed to to be better, to do better, to move more, to be fitter, to eat healthier, to be stronger. And as a child, you absorb all that in wanting to be perfect for someone else. And I lost sight of who of what I actually wanted to do when if I actually enjoyed playing netball and it later came out that I didn't, I was just people pleasing and that was a big one as well. Um, 
So for me, I think there was a lot of small triggers that, as I said, created a perfect environment for my eating disorder to manifest in. Wow. Do you know what? I love your self-awareness. Like this was only two years ago. Mm, mm. that is so much self-awareness that you've developed like I'm almost thinking like this is like years worth of work that you've really like delved into so I really just want to honor you for that that's a lot thank you yeah I hope you're really proud of yourself for that oh for sure I think as I said at the start I wouldn't regret any experience that I went through because yeah it was it was tough but I honestly think that people with eating disorders, and I know we've spoken about this before, they have the strongest mentality of anyone I know because just the discipline and the the motivation to restrict or to starve, and it's just about, you know, really transforming those thought patterns into something more positive. And once you harness that and once you do that, the world is your oyster and Mm -hmm. Once you figure out who you are, there is nothing stopping you because you're experiencing everything again for the first time because you've restricted yourself from it for so long. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, I love that you share around that piece that it's a whole new life. But actually, when you're not in that mindset, you can't even imagine what that's like. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever felt like that. Like for me, yeah, I had my one year anniversary yesterday of like not making myself six in the shade of 14, which was like, yeah, a big, a big thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, which was a, a big, a big celebration for me. But also I've reflected on that in the last year and been like, my life is so fucking cool right now. <laughs> but I actually couldn't put it into words to describe someone that's reading that post that I shared on Instagram around actually what you did, because it's so unique to ourselves. But I think like would there be any tips that you would share around what your life is like now from a freedom perspective in your mind versus what it was like beforehand? Oh my gosh, are you ready? (laughs) (laughs) Right? Isn't that a challenge? It's amazing to think like, because when you were going through your eating disorder, you think it's the end and you think there is no hope and there's no life out there. But I preach this so much because there is. And I know it's not legitimately like you're experiencing life in the new time and that you know the first time because we all know that we were born ages ago but it it is it literally is this feeling of of freedom of tasting all these amazing foods again and not having the thought or the guilt or going out and wearing a bikini and feeling proud because you've never felt that way before or going out and just sitting at a restaurant ordering whatever you want with the most amazing company and just being present and not thinking about your eating disorder thoughts like I cannot explain how freaking amazing it is Mm -hmm. just to be freed from all those thoughts that your eating disorder pushed on you every single day because as I said you were literally stuck in a box and your Mm -hmm. eating disorder has the key But once you find that key and you release yourself and get out there, you can do anything that you want and you realise that you have the power to do that. You have the power to make whatever decision you like. You have the power to make it right now. And when you realise that, man, your life freaking changes forever. And it's, yeah, sure, it's not up 100% of the time, but it is on its way up 
and the feelings of happiness and grace and love and appreciation just flow throughout your body and you just attract the right people. It's just, it's phenomenal. I don't know if that sold it for anyone, but it sells it for me every day. I love the about the lock and the key. Like at what point did you have that? That's a great way of describing it. Mine took a long time. Yours was obviously a lot quicker. Yeah, I look... I had a lot of help from my family. Um, I was very lucky to have very present um, parents that really took a hold of this illness and decided that they were going to win the war because I had given up. I was bothered. I wanted, I just really wanted to be thin. I really wanted to do what my eating disorder said. And honestly, without them, I wouldn't be here today because they fought so hard even when I didn't want to. And I think there came a point in my recovery where, and I think everyone gets to this stage where you just go, like, what am I doing with my life? Like, mm-hmm. I've been doing this for so many years or however long everyone's journey is and you just get to a point where you're like, do I really want to keep doing this for the rest of my life? And I had a few of those realisation moments, but I remember a pivotal one being my mum decided to plan a bucket list. So she, so her big thing was, you know what, I can't keep fighting anymore. You're destroying this family in terms of we're all just arguing all the time and no one's happy. And she's like, you obviously want to die. So let's, it was really cutthroat. <laughs> but she was like, if you want to die, let's create a bucket list and let's just tick things off. I mean, she's like, I'm not going to sit here and watch you die and do this every day. So let's just do a bucket list and just do more things you want to do before you die. And I was like, okay, um, this is pretty real now. So they're no longer fighting for me. Um, What now? Um, And then I had a bit of an epiphany moment um, where I saw my great nan who um, unfortunately passed away when I was quite young, but I had just a real strong, I feel spiritual connection to her and she came to me one night and I'm not a spiritual person. So this was a really weird experience. Um, And I remember her just saying, it's not your time to let go. You need to keep fighting. And I don't know what happened to me, but I remember staying up that night and just planning my entire recovery. And I've still got the book today with all the things I wrote down and how I was going to recover. And, and that was the, the moment that I decided that instead of, you know, deciding that I wanted to die and doing everything I could to die, I made the decision to live and I was going to do everything and make every decision that I could to uphold that decision I made to live. So that was kind of the start or the, the turning point for me that I was going to actually, yeah, fight my eating disorder. Wow. <laughs> That's insane. I mean, that makes a lot of sense because I don't really come across that many people that have like a two-year kind of transition period that you had that that sort of awakening or that person came into your life so what an amazing experience I mean how did you find that transition then have you had this plan that you'd come up in the night to actually like sticking to it because that's when the mind games start isn't it that's when like when it's like oh why are you doing this why not like I yeah how did you stay disciplined which we have said we're very good at but in the right direction for your health I honestly think it was one of the toughest part of recovery because I felt that at that 
that stage of my recovery, it, it was up to me. I had to then make that decision um, to pursue my recovery. My, I'd been dependent on my parents for so long and they had finally said, we're going to take a step back because it's actually hurting us. So I was like, okay, this is going to be really tough. This is all on me. And to be honest, I struggled a lot. There were days where I still wanted to give up um, and there were days that I felt that I couldn't do it, but I felt like I, I owed it to myself and I owed it to my great nan and I kind of looked at it as an experiment for me because for so long everyone, all my clinicians and um, my nurses in hospital and that were telling me, you know, if you get to a certain weight, you're going to think clearer. If you get to a certain weight, trust me, you're going to be okay and life is going to be so much better. So I kind of changed my perspective on my recovery instead of looking at it as, you know, I just had to put on weight because in our head we're like, we have to put on weight and we get fat, blah, blah, blah. So for me, I looked at it as I'm going to experiment and see that if I put on this weight and get to this certain weight, will I end up being how they say I will feel. Um, so every decision that I came to, every meal that I came to, I sat my goals and my notepad beside me and I said, I have to get through this meal and in order to get through this meal, it will potentially lead me to here. And every day just it gave me that, that motivation and that reminder that I could have an amazing life, I could be the person they say I could be, but I have to give it a go. I can't just, you know, be at this half ass. I'm a very determined, motivated person. And, yes, that voice is strong, but I have to give it a go. And even if I get there, I have to, you know, just say that I've given, I've tried. And even if I get there and say it didn't work and I don't feel the way that they, they said that I would feel, I've given it a go and I can even prove them wrong. That's kind of the ED, the ED thought coming in. I'm just going to prove them wrong. But I... um. Yeah, I felt like I had to give it a go and that's something that I've lived by my entire life is that I'm a person that will give something a go and I'll give it 100% and if it doesn't work out, i probably hate myself for it, but I, uh, I need to give it a crack. Well, it worked out, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. It worked out better <laughs> than expected. <laughs> oh, it, um, what were your... I was going to say, what were your goals like then that you'd write down in your notebook? Yeah, so I had a lot of goals, but my number one is I wanted to be a mum one day and obviously mm. um, it'd be fertile and you need to have your period and that was something that my eating disorder was preventing me from doing. So having a mum and getting my period was um, top two. Then came down the list is I wanted to go to uni and I wanted to study journalism. It was something that I did work experience back in the day and I remember walking away just going, I want to do this for the rest of my life. So that was there. I knew I had to get to um, a set weight in order to be able to think when I do my uni degree. So that was another goal. Um, I also wanted to get out and be more social. So I wanted to go to parties and have the typical 18-year-old experience where you go out and meet new people and, you know, kiss random guys and go dancing and do all that. Like that was such a driver for me as well as I can't do that while I'm stuck in this house being monitored seven meals a day. I want to go out there and live my life. Um, and then there was other small things like I wanted to own my own house one day and I can't do that if I'm dependent on my parents feeding me. Um, and 
I think one of the biggest things for me as well was I didn't want to be in this situation and what I mean by that is I didn't want to have the voices in my head or I didn't want to be this dependent woman I wanted to be a strong woman and I wanted to be able to speak for myself and to have my own opinions and I remember all these squiggly lines being down the bottom of just like strong empowering using my voice and I just knew every time I sat in front of that meal whatever it was was that I would look to those words and be like, that is the woman that I am building every time I take a bite. And I just had to trust that. Whoa. That is, if I'm going to snippet that quote, if that was a woman, that was a woman I'm going to become if I have every bite. That's insane. Yeah. It, um, wow. It's, it's such a surreal experience because people think, you know, and we've had this conversation hundreds of times you know they they think of a meal they go out and just eat and they don't think about it but it is for someone with an eating disorder it is a mental illness it is not just about the food it's sure you see that person eating healthy or struggling to eat their meal but you don't know what's going on in their head the thoughts that go in their head the anxiety and the the shock that their body is going through and the trauma that they are experiencing just by seeing you know a piece of potato or um a grain of rice on, on yeah. their plate like that that is you cannot even describe to someone that hasn't been through an eating disorder the experience or the feeling that goes through your body when you have so much anxiety over the food. Um, and it's it's honestly traumatizing. I find it fascinating reversing that role and questioning someone that has a, a healthy, everyone's got their own relationships with food, but like has like a kind of healthy, normalish relationship with food and find that fascinating that they just eat what they feel like. <laughs> like that was a game changer for me I was like whoa like for someone that would because I developed my sort of when I was eight my anorexia when I was eight and then I developed my bulimia when I was 14 so I was like yeah like anorexia nervosa and and all those kind of things combined and then but I remember yeah from the age of eight actually I think I would have been younger, but for me, it was more like my family would give me a yogurt before my main meal because they didn't want to eat solids. Um, but I think it's because I wanted to talk. <laughs> I, my whole life, I wanted to talk. I was interested in people, as you can imagine. Like, I don't want to be eating. I had all this energy that I wanted to burn. And, and that's kind of where it stemmed from. It was like suppressing the talking and the communication through food, um, which is what I've worked out. But I found it fascinating that people ate when they were hungry. Mm. What? <laughs> like, like we're not taught what is hunger yeah no and yeah and then also like we're supposed to have three meals a day like well who says we have to have three meals a day like who who created that like what if I'm not hungry at lunch and then they're like oh that's your eating sort I'm like no but I'm not actually hungry it, oh yeah anyway oh my god I love that you made I feel like the whole education I feel like, as I was just saying, oh. the whole education system, when you even think back in school, when we were preached Australian healthy guidelines, like, sure, great, um, a good sort of guideline for people, I believe, that are older. I believe when you're a child and you're developing and your body is still growing, it is still changing, those are, these, those are the initial moments where you need adequate food, but food that you desire and you need to really be in tune with yourself because I feel like 
the industry is telling us how we should eat, what we should eat. And because it's the medical industry, we feel like we have to listen. But the whole time we are suppressing what our body actually wants when it needs it. Because at the end of the day, our body knows what it wants. And it doesn't need to be told what to eat. It doesn't need to be told when to eat. It doesn't even need to be told how to cleanse itself. I mean, at the end of the day, it knows what to do. Its number one mission on this earth is to get the person that it has to survive and all this information that's circulating around our brain in the media is telling us to ignore our body and to ignore Mm -hmm. its messages and to listen to this culture that we've built this information dense culture when it's actually going against how we were designed and created to be it just confuses me it's baffling it's baffling but I know sometimes people don't realize this so if they tell you to have lunch it's coming from a place of kindness and it's their own conditioning you know oh you haven't had lunch but it's absolutely insane that we're directed of when to eat when to snack how many carbs how many fats how many proteins like it just baffles me um so I love that you also shared that piece as well and um, one thing I also want to touch upon, you mentioned obviously social media before and like that you became very aware of like um, different bodies and things online. I feel like now we have the ability that obviously it's such a positive platform as well as a negative one. How have you changed your relationship with social media? Because you're clearly using it. <laughs> yeah, so, I, what, yeah. yeah. What does that look like for you? Uh, well, it was definitely a rocky relationship at the start because I feel at the start was it was introduced to everyone. There were, yeah, sure, it was like you had to be 18, but let's be honest, there's so many apps out there where you can make your way around it. Um, but there was, it came with no instructions, it came with no guidelines, it came with no sort of warnings for parents or even little quotas for kids. It was just out there. There you are, go access it. Um, and I think people really quickly realised that they could put their whole life on display but manipulate their life um, and feed you something that wasn't truthful. Um, and when that started happening, that's when we didn't, none of us knew what was reality and what was this fantasy that people were creating. And a lot of kids that, you know, their brains haven't fully developed were just getting sort of, lost in this world and mixing up a fantasy and a reality and I was one of those kids that just got lost I was consuming all these content from all these girls and these influencers thinking that this was their life but at the end of the day it was nothing to them similar to their life um but I focused a lot on the health accounts and the influencers that were posting photos with their green juices and showing photos of their shopping trolley and eating healthy and making all these amazing meals. And once you start, the algorithm just jumps onto you and before you know it, you you click on the app and you've just got all this information about diets pretty much. Um, And you know what? I was really young and looking at that content and just constantly absorbing that. As we said, 24-7, it just changed my life. Um, Not for the good. But now I, so when I got diagnosed, I went off social media for two years. I knew that it was a trigger um, and part of my recovery, I had to learn ways to eliminate my triggers. So social media had to go. Um, And then I knew for me, I'm one of those people where I don't want to let things go 
and not be strong enough to deal with them again one day. So I knew for me that one day I wanted to revisit social media when I knew that I was strong enough. And there came a point where I sat down and spoke to my therapist and my parents about it and I said, look, I would like to to try it again and just to honestly see how I go and and see if I get back on that wagon where I, I'm constantly consuming diet culture. Um, lucky enough for me, I was in a place where I was very strong and I knew my goals and I'd, I'd reached um, my set weight where I was feeling amazing um, and I decided yeah, I'm going to jump back on there, but I was going to change my story on there. So instead of being part of the the fantasy culture of women, you know, and men as well, posting photos of bikinis and selling their life to get, I honestly think sometimes it's to get attention and to get the likes. Um, I was like, I'm going to switch it up. I have learned a lot from this illness and I found my voice and I want to be able to share that now. And I was really scared creating my first post about it. Um, about especially about eating disorders because in my little community it wasn't talked about at all and every time my family and I wanted to talk about it we would get shut down so yeah I made my first post and then all of a sudden it just blew up and friends from school and then people I didn't know started um, messaging me sharing their stories and then family started reaching out um, wanting to just hear more about my story and then I decided that yeah I'm gonna I'm going to continue this because I feel like it's almost my mission on this on this earth mm -hmm. to be able. I I, th I feel like for me, I was silenced for a very long time, and I let other people um, shut down my voice and not allow me to speak. And now that I've found the courage to to use my voice and to use it loudly, I'm not going to let myself be silent or, or let anyone else um silent before that so now I'm going to shout really loud and I feel like it's um mm -hmm. yeah it's paid off I hope that I'm starting the conversation I love that that you've had your voice shut off for so long and then that's that's it yeah you're out Ash yeah. is out <laughs> no you can't shut <laughs> you've just got to do you you know express your voice and I think that's a lot that can come from eating disorders that it's you're suppressing your voice and actually how you're feeling I feel that's quite a common thread that I see too um I felt like that myself as well like I was always the loud kid at school that was talking and then I was just became like an a, an object that's all I was bothered about the way I looked I wasn't anything about my spirit, my vessel, my my thoughts, me, my personality. I was just purely an object. So um, I totally agree with you. The louder, the better. Um, so then you mentioned you went on to like your first social media post. Um, where did the secret burden come from? Funny, well, it's not really a funny story. It's kind of... <laughs> I always say that. I'm always like, funny story. And then when I think about the story, I'm like, it's not funny at all. Um, <laughs> um, so the secret burden actually came about from my mom. So when I was admitted into hospital, um, I was admitted in Brisbane, which was a bit of a drive from where I was living um, in New South Wales. So um, my mum was really struggling. So she was with me 24-7 up in um when I was in Brisbane and everyone was constantly calling, just being 
asking how I was, how my recovery was going. And mum honestly just couldn't do it every day. She was emotional. She got wrecked. She was tired. So she created the Secret Burden Facebook page, um, which was just originally just a private group, um, family and friends. Um, and literally she would start at day one and then do day two and then day three and just do updates on how I was going each day for all the family and friends back home. Um, so that's how it started. And then family and friends started to share it because my mom is great with words. She's such an amazing creative writer mm. and it started getting pr pretty poetic. Um, and they started sharing it so that the group became public. And since then, I think mum's last post was like day 1,000 something, something. Um and then I decided when I said that I was going to go back on social media that I was going to take it over and share from my perspective because for so long it was mum's. Um, and then mine sort of just became a bit of a hit. And then we were looking at it maybe six months, 12 months later, looking at what we were creating and we had families reaching out to us and we started going and seeing these families and I started seeing young girls in hospital um, just sort of mentoring them and talking them through and just sometimes just sitting and just listening because um, I knew that's what I needed when I was going through my recovery. And then when I remember we were just sitting down one day and we're like, let's, let's make this a business. Let's, let's actually do this. We don't know what we're doing, but let's do it. Let's just, let's do yeah. something. Um, and yeah, we sat down, we created a business. And then since then, we, we, we always strive, that's our family, we're like, we need more, we want to do more. Um, and for us, we decided to do events. So Mum and I have done a couple of um, women's wellness events where it's talking about body image, starting conversations around eating disorders as well as looking at ways women can benefit from preventing eating disorders in their lives. Um, and we've done a few other things like um, we continue to do support groups with the families and I continue to go see girls in hospital um, and then kind of like I feel like our social media presence is the big thing because that's where we constantly promote and go, you know, sort of provide people with resources because we know we don't have all the answers. We're just a family that's gone through it. But we like to give people some more information because we know how hard it can be. And then, yeah, before we knew it, we just had people jumping on board. And then I was quite privileged to be able to go on the Today Show last year. And then when everything came out about um, social media and the correlation with body image, I was lucky enough as well to go on CNN. And, and then it all kind of just went up in flames, like in a good way. Um, yeah. It was just people wanted to hear our story because we were willing to share. And I feel that... As I said, it was our, our mission to keep the conversation going because, yeah, you know, you might end one conversation today or we might stop this conversation, but someone out there is still struggling with this at home or in hospital. So the conversation needs to keep on going and um, we just want to be, I, I suppose, that business, that non-profit that keeps pushing that conversation to remind everyone that, hey, eating disorders are still here. We still need to be talked about. We still need help. So... Um, yeah, we keep drawing people back to awareness and prevention. Wow. I think if we could have a secret burden in every country in the world, how great would that be? Oh, it would just be. And the power of, 
conversation. Like mm-hmm. you don't realize how powerful it is and how preventative it is to start a conversation with your young child or with your teenage son or your adolescent daughter or even your parents or your grandparents. Starting those conversations are so critical because the more that we put them off, the more that we ignore the issue and the issue just gets bigger. And prevention and that starts with all of us. It doesn't start with the medical system or it doesn't start with the top dogs. At the end of the day, they, they, they can only do what they can do. We can't control that. We can control what we do in our lives and the conversations that we start and we're willing to have and you've got to be open to having them. Yeah, and that's the challenge, right? It's actually having the bravery to step up and have that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So many people I- from it. Put in. So many people run from the conversations. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think if I reflect on my journey, like from 14 to the, well, from 14 to 31, like in and out, one of the big things was not having the conversation. Like I'd often go through patterns of asking for help, getting help, then being like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm cured or I'm better. And then, oh, actually convincing that I didn't need any more help and then stepping back. So I think it's like, actually being consistent with it too is yeah for someone that's been suppressing their thoughts and their emotions through food to then be in this pattern of going out of all of it is just it's a lot so is there any advice you give to any of our listeners that are say listening right now that are going through it themselves or have a family member or just know someone that they're realizing that they're something's not right things have changed with them that you could share I think for preventative reasons, I think if you have noticed behaviour has changed in someone that you're around um, in terms of their eating, in terms of their mood, that is a signal for you to go and just check in with them. It doesn't have to be like, hey, let's go ring a helpline or hey, let's go see a doctor. It's just go check in take the pressure off for so many people and so much information tells us that we need to go and act in straight away. And yes, that, that is needed, but that is also really scary. And that person is not going to open up if you straight away walk in the door and be like, Hey, let's go to the psychologist or let's go book you or admit you into hospital. Like if you just walk in, come from a sympathetic Um, perspective and just ask them are you okay how's your life been going open up that conversation for them to open up to you but I I've always said it's essential that if you think that they're spending too much time on social media or that they're you've seen they haven't eaten lunch a couple of times or their mood's just off or they've been a bit reactive in a group situation that is a sign that you need to check in with that person Mm -hmm. and I think that that is one of the, the key things if we're looking at prevention. Um, I then think, you know, if that person comes to you and they say, no, I haven't been okay, you then help them be part of their recovery journey. Don't tell them, okay, we're going to go do this. At the end of the day, it's their life. And once again, they will shut off if you tell them what to do. But yeah. if you then ask, so we, so what would what do you want from me? What, how can I help you? And what could we potentially do now? And if that's as simple as, hey, I just let's just go for a walk, or and maybe then they'll open up a bit more. If you at, at any stage, if you get concerned, of course, um, 
ring an ambulance first and foremost or talk to a therapist. But you initially want them to be involved with their recovery because if you go behind their back, that can cause more issues, especially in the early stages. Um, if they say that they're fine, then just keep an eye on. As a friend, as a family member, as someone that you care about, you almost, I know for me, I feel like that I have a chosen responsibility to care for the people that I'm surrounded by. I don't have a responsibility. I take on that choice to have a responsibility for other people because I care about them and I want them to be around and be flourishing like me. So I feel that just take, be more active. We, are, we have so many busy households. We have so many, not much time on our hands. I get that. But end of the day, is it really worth it to, to say that we don't have time on our hands when someone that we love or someone that we care about is suffering? And then we always come back to after someone is diagnosed or someone's really sick, oh, yeah, I did notice that in them. And mm. you know, I, I did realise that, but I didn't want to say anything. Like for me, no, that's just not on. You can't get to the end and be like and say that sort of stuff when you have the means to do something now. Um, that's what I would say to people that are noticing symptoms and signs in other people. Um, but for you, if you are going through something, know that it's okay. I think a lot of the times we're told and it's scary to think that we could potentially not be okay but it's okay. We all go through something. We, we all struggle at some stage and know that what you're feeling is valid. One of the biggest things during my recovery that did not help was constantly feeling like I wasn't sick enough or that my illness wasn't validated by other people, um, whether that was the medical system or friends and family. Know that what you're feeling, if you know that you're not okay, if you know that, yeah, your mood slightly changed or you've just got less energy or you're feeling like you don't have depression but you've got depressive thoughts, mm. know that that's not normal but that is happening to you and that you can access help. Don't shy away from accessing help because you think that it's not worthy or you think that you're not sick enough or you think that you're not dire. Don't let it get to that stage. You're all about prevention and looking after yourself. And you don't have to be on your deathbed to see a therapist or you don't have to be crying in a ball to speak to a friend and ask for help. If you're not feeling okay, ask for help because I feel that it's needed. And if you talk to someone, trust me, it is a big chip off your shoulder once you get all that energy out of your body and release it in some way and if you're not great at talking get it out to a journal if you're not great at journaling write a book if you're not great at writing a book you know draw do whatever you need to do to get that energy and those thoughts and those emotions out of you because the longer that they sit in there the longer that they'll manifest and the worse that it will get for you but know that it's okay and that what you're feeling yeah, it's it deserves to you deserve to get help. Oh, absolutely. Like I think the really key point there that you highlighted was asking for help and and going for it as well. You know, sometimes you can ask for help and you may not you may get a response from someone being like, Oh, I don't know how to handle this, or oh, I knew there was something wrong, but I didn't know what to say. 
which is coming from a place of kindness you know they don't want to upset you but actually like going for it and asking like are you okay and knowing how to respond when someone says no I think if everyone could just think about that now and think actually how would I respond if someone said no is a really key thing to think about too because it's such a sensitive situation the fact that that person's confiding in you is is a bit of a privilege really as well because they trust you and they probably may have never done it or they really do need the help I think it's important to understand and just to listen so yeah I thank you so much for that advice I think that's so valid and I'm, I'm really grateful that you shared that no by all means thank you and I feel that what you said as well is really key is that listening so mm. a lot of people don't want advice they don't want tips or they don't want sometimes people don't want help and that's okay that's their choice but you could help them unintentionally by just sitting there not literally not saying a word sometimes we we, we think that we have to add our input and we think that especially a lot of parents do this think that they have to fix a situation or add advice sometimes your kid your child or whoever it is just want someone to sit there and receive the energy that they're putting out because it takes a load off their shoulder and if you can be that person that just sits there and just nods, just accepts, just asks if they're okay, is there anything I can do instead of you should do this or you should try this or, you know, we'll go book this in for you. Like, no. Oh, no. Be still. No. Listen and yeah. accept what you are being told by that person. It's I get it. It's it's simple, but it it really does help the person. I know from personal experience, well, the amount of times I go into arguments with other people, just shut up. I don't want to hear yeah. how to fix my life. Just listen. Yes. Like I don't, I can't just eat a Mars bar. I remember like a family, a family member would just be like, why don't you just eat a Mars bar? And I'd be like, what? <laughs> like, why don't you just listen to me and like show me some love? I think is that like the reality to it, but Hey, like, you know, everyone learns in different ways. And um, I think, yeah, it's amazing just to listen. Listening is key. We all need to listen. Yeah. We all need to open up our yeah. more. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. I've been so excited to interview today. So thank you for joining me. Um, for anyone that's listening at the moment, where can they find you and where can they join The Secret yeah. Burden as well? Amazing. So I think the best place is we're really active on social media. So obviously The Secret Burden Facebook page is where you can find, it's called, sort of like our website almost. It's all about community stuff that's going on, any events that we have pop up or our support groups, um, as well as The Secret Sunday Sessions that we have, which is Lucy is on there as well, which is amazing. So you can check out her video on there, um, which we do them twice a month that you guys can check out. It's similar to this, but you get to see beautiful faces. Um, and then also um, I have my own personal blog where I share my thoughts and my experience going through recovery um which is on instagram which is just ashley.thomas but i am double e i'm not ey or igh for anyone <laughs> out there um so yeah that's basically where you can find us but otherwise we're just active in sort of the gold coast and tweet heads community so you can always reach out or find us somewhere in the streets <laughs> amazing i love that well thank you so much my darling and um yeah really appreciate you joining today
No, thank you so much. And thank you for all that you do as well. Like I know that, you know, it's not always easy sharing your story, but the, the amount of effort, the amount of love and the care that you put into even all these podcasts and yourself. Aww. You're really changing lives. Darling. Oh, thank you, honey. Thank you so much for listening to today. It's been an absolute pleasure as always to have you join today. If any of you guys have been affected by anything that you've heard in today's show, I will add them all into the show notes for you from the best places and people to reach out to, whether that's for yourself or a loved one or someone that you know. These places are all highly confidential and we really appreciate and understand how sensitive this subject can be. So thank you so much for joining me today, for spending your time to listen to today's show. And as always, I love hearing your reviews and your feedback so feel free to write me a review slide into my dms uh, or reach out to ashley as well and i will see you all soon